there is like this genealogy or family tree of Jesus kind of listed out. It's just this fat chapter with a bunch of names. It starts with Abraham, and then it says who someone's Isaac, who someone's Jacob, who someone's so-and-so, and etc. All the way through to Jesus Christ. And as we get towards Christmas and the birth of Jesus Christ, um, we thought it would be nice to shine some light on some of the people that were part of this Christmas tree, or, or this family tree, that would eventually lead to the Savior of the world. And that's what we read just then. We just saw kind of like the lineage of how you know, these people lead to Jesus Christ. The cool thing is, in this, in the sea of all these men, in this uh, family tree, there are some incredibly some women who are listed, and they have some amazing stories. And that's what we've been doing. We're looking at the stories of these women over the last few weeks. And, and this week, as chance would have it, uh, I get to talk about literally my favorite story in the Bible. My favorite book in the Bible is the story of Ruth. Um, I love this book. If you haven't read this book, read it. It is such an amazing story. I wish I could do this book for four weeks, um, but I have to do it in So what I've done today is I've split up this, this story into four sections and, and to help us understand what's going on. And I'll tell you what they are. Number one, unreasonable pain. Number two, unexpected provision. Number three, unmatched pursuits. And number four, unmistakable plan. I'll say that again. Number one, unreasonable pain. Number two, unexpected provision. Number three, unmatched pursuits. And finally, unmistakable plan. That's kind of the, the roadmap that we're going to go through today. And although the title of this book is Ruth, and you know, when we next talk about Ruth, what we'll see by the end of this incredible story is actually the wonderful character, faithfulness of our God. And I hope and pray that we will all find deep gospel-written comfort and confidence in our hearts through the story of Ruth today. Why don't we pray together? Would you, would you guys pray with me? Lord God, I pray that as we look through this incredible story of Ruth, that you would show us who you are and enable us to trust you to a greater measure today. Bring comfort here today. Bring confidence in our hearts that is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now what I'm going to do today is I'm going to try my best to just walk through this story. I think this is just an incredible story that really kind of speaks for itself. So I'm going to try my best to just walk through this story and point out some interesting things, making some points about God throughout. Uh, so please keep your Bibles open. Um, I purposely didn't have slides, but I want you guys to have your Bibles just to kind of follow along with me because, again, this story, it really does speak for itself. And I just want you to follow along with me as I zip through this story. So let's jump right in. Part 1, Unreasonable Pain. Ruth chapter 1 verse 1, it says this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Stop there. So immediately the, the book opens by introducing to us two very important pieces of information. The time and the place. And it's very important that we understand this. The author says the time was in the time of the, the judges. In the days of the judges rule. Now, the book of Judges is this really frustrating book uh, where we see God's people disobey or turn their back on God. And then God in his wrath punishes them by letting neighboring nations conquer them. And then these people complain and cry out to God, and then God restores and protects and redeems them, and then they disobey Him, and then God punishes them, so on and so forth. It is just this like ruthless cycle that reveals the forgetfulness and 
sinfulness of humanity. Judges is just, they're really frustrating people. The last verse of Judges is like the perfect summary for these times that the God, people of God were in. You, you guys click back one page from Ruth. You'll, you'll, you'll be in Judges. And I'm going to read the last verse of Judges because this summarizes you know, what these times look like. Judges 21, verse 25. And it says, In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That just simple selfishness. Uh, doing whatever they wanted. No reverence, no obedience, just chaos. It wasn't a pretty time in the history of Israel. And the author of our book today tells us that it is during these times that our story today unfolds. And so knowing that, in some ways, it actually makes sense that Bethlehem is in famine right now. Which is really sad because Bethlehem actually means, apparently, means the house of bread or the house of meat. And so this is not what God had planned or has intended for his people, but due to their disobedience, we see uh, they are afflicted with famine here in this story. So that's the time that we're in. We also, we also learn about the place that we're in. We begin in Bethlehem, which is in Judah, amongst the people of God. But then suddenly this man from Bethlehem takes his family to a place called Moab. And we learn his name in verse 2. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. Now to us, this just sounds like a move, like moving on countries, right? You might even think, that's pretty smart. You know, you have a family where you live, go somewhere else, right? But if we understood the history of Moab, we would feel the shock, disappointment, and even disgust. Disgust that the original audience would have felt when they heard this. You see, Moab was known for deep sexual immorality. If you look at uh, Genesis chapter 19, you don't have to go there. There's a, guy, there's a guy named Lot, and he gets like really drunk. And it, this is really messed up. Genesis chapter 19, he gets really drunk, but his daughters then begin to seduce him. And they conceive, and they bear a child together. And that child is named the boy. And that's how the Moabites begin. Not only that, in Numbers chapter 25, there is a famous story of a bunch of Israelite men walking through Moab and they are seduced by Moabite women and, and they're led to be sexually immoral and even they, they even bow down to, to other gods, the, the gods of Moab. And so God in his wrath wipes out 24,000 Israelite men. Numbers chapter 25. This is what Moab is known for. Everybody knows. If you're Israelite, you know this story, you know Moab. Particularly Moabite women were known as dirty and dangerous. It was a place of shame. You just had Moab was like, ooh, it was a place of shame. Normally, apparently, when people of Israel would travel, they would, they would go around Moab, specifically. But here we learn that this guy, Elimelech, takes his family right into the heart of Moab. And again, this is sad because the name of the name of the name of Elimelech means God is king. And yet, he foolishly makes this decision to go to a place without God, just to feed his belly. And so, with this context in mind, and don't worry, we're not going to go through uh, Ruth at this pace. Uh, people are freaking out, I remember this too. Uh, with this context in mind, uh, begins 10 years of absolute tragedy in this family's life. Verse 3, But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. So, first tragedy. 
We don't know exactly when or how, but we learn that they live like dies. That's just it, he just dies. Tragic. And then second tragedy, her two sons, they, they fall in love with two more white women. And they get married. This is like the worst nightmare for an Israelite mother. Verse 4, these, the sons took more white wives, the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. And then finally, one, one final blow in Naomi's life. We learned that her sons both suddenly died as well. That's why both Marlon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. I think this is so symbolic here in verse 5 that it doesn't say that Naomi was left without her two sons, it says that the woman was left without her two sons. Almost as if to say she's lost everything. She doesn't have a name anymore, she's lost everything. Pain. Pain is what Naomi is experiencing right now. And yes, technically, we could argue that this is the time of the judges. And this is a time during when God was punishing his people through famine. We could argue that Elimelech took his family into the heart of Moab. Of course God would be unhappy and angry. And so in some ways, we could try and um, justify and explain this situation theologically, and even try to understand why these things have happened. But brothers and you and I both know that for Naomi, all she could see and all she could feel unreasonable pain. Like, God, what is going on? You bring me to this foreign land for 10 years, you take my husband, you take my sons, you leave me with these two Moabite women, my life is falling, my life is falling apart. Where are you? What are you doing? As far as Naomi is concerned, this is unreasonable pain. This is unwarranted pain. There's no way for her to understand this. And if we understand the laws and cultures of this time, we will also know that for widowed women and for without any sons, and then for her to have two more widowed daughters-in-law, there was literally no hope for the future. Culturally, they couldn't work. And by custom, they couldn't just go out and probably marry somebody so that they could provide for them. And so not only was there pain for now that was plaguing Naomi's heart, there was just hopelessness for the future as well. And I know that many of us here have gone through, or maybe even are going through right now, seasons of what feels like unreasonable pain. Times when we don't, we just don't understand why God would do this to me, to us. Times that make us wonder what God is doing in our lives. Is it because of my sin? Is it because I did something wrong? It feels unfair. And it just feels like it won't end. Then perhaps you know how many is feeling like And we haven't even talked about Ruth yet. I mean, Ruth is human too, and she lost her husband as well. And I love how real this book is about the realities of unreasonable pain in the life that we live in this broken and sinful world. It is no secret that during our lives, there will come times where seemingly, for no good reason, we experience pain and hardship. And, and, and our heart can often turn bitter. 
which is actually what happens to me. I'm going to jump to verse 20. She said to them, Do not call me names. Call me mother. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. The Lord has brought me back. And you see, Naomi means pleasant. And I think it's really cool. This book of Ruth, names are very important. I find that very cool. Naomi means pleasant. But she didn't want to be called that anymore. She was experiencing unreasonable pain. So she said, call me mother. Which means, or business. And I think this is a very natural and acceptable response to her pain. It's okay to be upset and angry like this when we go through unreasonable, what feels like unreasonable pain in our lives. But, brothers and sisters, let's be clear about this. These seasons, those seasons, are not an excuse to suddenly give up on God, or turn from God, or lose hope in God. No, those seasons are time for faith. With all the emotions going, the hardship and the pain plaguing our minds and our hearts, those seasons are a season to muster up the strength to say, you are God, I trust you. Perhaps even with tears streaming down our bases to be able to declare that and to say that. And believe it or not, that's actually what Naomi is doing here in verse 20. Let's, let's look at verse 20 again. She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She, you see, she calls him the Almighty here in this text. The original word may be Shaddai. You might have heard El Shaddai. Meaning the great, the omnipotent, powerful, sovereign one. And then she says, I went away full, the Lord has brought me back empty. And the Lord here is Yahweh, the name of the covenant God of Israel, the faithful one. You see, even though it was so hard to feel any sorts of passion for the Lord and, and love for the Lord right now in her heart, but she's bitter right now. You see, Naomi never gave up her allegiance to God. She never ever forgot her place before God. And we see why. We see why. In the last verse of this chapter, verse 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of Barnabas. I love this. It's subtle. But almost like an after-credit scene, after all this tragedy and pain, the very last verse, the very last words of the last verse of this chapter leaves us with a glimpse of hope. After 10 years in Moab, Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem, and it was, it says it was the beginning of the body. And you know, when you read this novel, you might just kind of be like, eh, I don't know what that, eh, not that important. Very important. Because symbolically, the beginning of the body harvest was the end of the time of famine, and therefore suffering, but also quite practically speaking, and we'll see this later on, the barn house would be the perfect setting where both Ruth and Naomi's life would be temporary. Hope. They didn't know it yet. It was there, but they didn't see it as hope, but it was hope. Even in, in Naomi's life, she says to me, I, I went away full, came back empty, I've got nothing. But standing right next to her, we see in the last verse, the, the, the author reminds us standing next to her is Ruth, the Moabite woman. Hope. She doesn't see it yet. But through Ruth, 
God is going to restore me to be held back. There is hope. And so we, so we see here the faithfulness of God. Believe in our hearts. As this book reminds us that for whatever reason, though we may go through what feels like unreasonable pain in our lives, we are never without hope in God. Because the Lord is faithful to us. He never leaves us without hope. In fact, it may be those very seasons that are setting you up to experience the joys of God's faithfulness unfold in our lives one day. Even if it doesn't look like it. And in my prayer for myself and my prayer for all of us here at Kingsway is that we would have the kind of faith that Naomi demonstrates here in verse 20. I, I, I yearn for our church to be a community full of, of these kind of people. During our darkest day, a people who have a faith that will sing to the Lord even though our hearts feel dry, a faith that will declare their trust in the Lord even when situations feel bleak, and a faith that will focus on the Lord because we believe like God would not leave me like this. And in the, in the Lord there is hope. He will make a way for me. And I really pray that we would have this kind of faith because if we stop here in Ruth chapter 1, it would be such a shame. And I think a lot of us do. We, we kind of go through some of the hardships of life, the, the Ruth chapter 1 of life, and we stop. But if we stop here in Ruth chapter 1, it would be such a shame because we miss out on the, the rich joys that are coming in chapter 4. So if you are going through a season of unreasonable or what feels like unreasonable pain right now, I urge you, hold on. And that's literally the message of today's sermon. Hold on. Have faith in Him. There is hope. And that takes us to part two of the book. Part two. Unexpected provision. <laughs> I expected there to be like suspense in the room. <laughs> this is the part two, right? Um, the second part of the book is such a comfort for our souls. After having talked about, you know, in chapter one, this season of unreasonable pain, we begin to see the hope. That began in verse 22, chapter 1, verse 22, we begin to see that hope unfold in this second part. And it's really fun because this hope unfolds in such a cheeky and kind of Korean drama style way. You'll see why. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Okay, stop. So, context. Back in those times, back in these times, when a woman lost her husband, it was the brother of the husband's duty to look after her. You may have heard that before. But we saw in chapter 1 that Ruth's, brother, Ruth's husband's brother also died. And so then the custom of these times dictated that only the closest relative or cousin of the family could marry her and look after her. I don't know why, but that's the rule. It was called, that man was called Kinsman Ritty. You may have heard that type, that type before as well. He's called the Kinsman Ritty. And so with that in mind, we see why this verse, it's, it kind of feels random. It's like talking about Ruth and then suddenly one verse who talks about Boaz and then they go back to something else. Right? It's like pretty random, but if we understand the customs, we see why this first verse is so exciting. It's like the author couldn't wait to tell us what's going to happen. So it's kind of like here's a little, little Easter egg. Because to a hopeless and hopeless Ruth and Naomi, the existence of Boaz alone was hope for them. Because he was the, as the verse says, in the clan of Elimelech, or in other words, a relative 
eligible to redeem Ruth and restore her life. Spoiler alert. But we also learn, this is a bit of a bonus, that he's a worthy man. He's a good guy. And I, some commentators say this also means that he was a rich guy. Worthy. Right? So we meet good guy, good guy Boaz. And then the camera shifts back to Ruth and Naomi. Chapter 2, verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. So, more context. Like I said before, due to culture and customs, Ruth and Naomi were not allowed to work. So, they had no money, they had no food. They, they were provided for themselves. But the good news was that the law set by God, in the office of God, set like a rule or a law which stated that women could go into fields that men worked in and glean there. Gleaning was like kind of like, you know, this image of following around the workplace and anything that was dropped. So they weren't allowed to pick grain, but anything that the, the men dropped whilst they were working, they were allowed to pick it up and take it home to eat. It, it wasn't a very glamorous thing, honestly speaking, but it was a way for the, for the women to be able to provide for themselves. So here, Ruth is saying, let me go glean for some food. Now, I know we didn't talk about Ruth much in chapter 1, but Ruth is awesome. Ruth is so great. I wish I had more time to talk about everything, but Ruth is so great. There is this beautiful scene in chapter one where Naomi tells Orpah and Ruth, go home, right, go to your mom, stay, stay, stay in Hawaii. You, you have no hope with me, right? And, and Orpah leaves in this scene, but we see Ruth stays committed to Naomi, and she gives this amazing speech. I'm not gonna read it, but she gives this amazing speech of commitment to Naomi, and even though it was yeah, and even though the social suicide for a more white woman to enter into Bethlehem, after 10 years of living together, Ruth decides, Naomi is my family. I'm committed to you. I'm committed to your God. And I need to look after you. So I'm going to go with you. Just an amazing character. And I, I, I was watching a sermon about this, and he was like, you know, you've never seen uh, a daughter-in-law and mother-in-law relationship like just an amazing character on Ruth's part. And that's what makes this verse even greater. It was dangerous for Ruth to even be in Bethlehem, let alone go out, walking around the streets of Bethlehem. She was a Moabite woman. Often Moabite women got like abused physically. They would get hit, things thrown at them. But, but Naomi was old and so Ruth had to take care of her. So she puts herself at risk by venturing out to hopefully, hopefully, Get some food to bring her. Ruth is amazing. I'm going to speed this up. So Ruth goes out, and then in verse 3, here's where the kind of cheekiness of the story begins. Verse 3 says, So she set out and went and gleaned in the field off of the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Do you see what's happening here? So she went out and went to glean, and the author says, She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. So these fields were huge. They weren't like little parks. Uh, this is all like, like there acres and acres of land, and different owners are in different parts of the field. And, and this is how we know Boaz was quite well off as well, because he owned part of the field. And the verse says, and I, I kind of imagine this being read in like a really sarcastic term. Ruth goes out and happens to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. And in case you forgot, the author also adds after that, in case you forgot, who was part of the clan of Lemuel. So something's happening. Something's brewing right now. The stars are slowly starting to line up. 
And this is when things get real like Korean drama styles. Because the very next verse, the author writes, again, I'm imagining in a sarcastic term, verse 4, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And that last part is so unnecessary. <laughs> I think the author wanted to like show off, you know, how awesome Boaz is. And this is crazy. Commentators say that most field owners own more than one field, and, and they, it wasn't their job to come out to the field every day. And so it would be it would be rare for Boaz to walk up like this to this field, but it happens to be on this day, on this particular field, when Ruth just so happens to stumble onto this field, Boaz happens to be there. And then verse 5, and Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Who's young woman is this? Like a movie, across the room, Ruth catches Boaz's eyes, and he asks one of his workers, Hey, who's that? And so his workers explain to him Ruth's story, and Boaz, moved in his heart, goes to Ruth and tells her, verse 8, now listen, my daughter. And, and this, like, my daughter is just kind of turned on being demon. His heart's going out to her right now. Now listen, my daughter. Do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. And I won't read it all, but pretty much he says, stay here. You'll be safe here. I'll look after you. I'll take care of you. Wow. Remember, it was, it was dangerous for Ruth to come out. And, and because she was a Moabite, chances were that she would come home with nothing. But, but this. And then get this, verse 14, Boaz actually invites Ruth to come and eat with him at his table. The first date. Like legit, they're eating together, they're drinking together. And then in the afternoon, as Ruth leaves, Boaz tells his men in verse 16, and I find this really cute, like, it's, it's, in verse 16, like, look at verse 16. He's like, hey guys, can you drop a little extra around Ruth so she can pick up more to take her? He, like, the Bible didn't, like, say that. Super cute, right? And at the end of the day, in verse 17, it says that she gleaned about a farm of barley, which apparently is around 22 meters worth of barley, which I don't know how much that is, but commentators say that the point is, it was heaps. It was way more than any normal session of men. But this was not normal. Which is why when Ruth comes home, brings everything home, uh, Naomi is like, what the heck, where'd you go? She's shocked. And here's the exciting thing. Uh, Ruth, is, Ruth has been with Boaz all day, knowing who he really is. Uh, sorry, Ruth has been with Boaz, not knowing who he really is, right? It, to, to Ruth, Boaz is just a nice guy who's maybe a little bit interested in me. And then, and then you have Naomi, who knows who Boaz is, but she doesn't know that Ruth has been spending all day with him. And so there is then this really powerful and beautiful scene where those two pieces of information come together. Verse 19, Naomi asks, where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And then Ruth responds, the man's name with whom I worked today is drum rolls Boaz. And then everything clicks. And look at Naomi's response in verse 20. And he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness, this is the Lord's kindness, has not forgotten the living, forsaken the living for the dead. You see, as soon as she hears the name Boaz, Naomi looks straight to God. And she praises him because she knows that this, all this is no coincidence. 
it looks like it. She just happened to be there, he happened to come, and he happened to like that. It looks like coincidence, but it's not. It is simply the faithfulness of God that she believed in, in chapter 1, showing itself in unexpected provision in her life. In the most unexpected way. And then she tells Ruth, this man is a close relative of God, one of our redeemers. And then she tells Ruth to go stay close to him. Like a typical mom who wants her daughter to meet this good, cool Christian boy. Let's stay with him. And friends, that is the end of part two. The refreshing change of pace from part one. A reminder that God is really much bigger than our situations, than your situations, our problems and our worries. That's what I'm reminded of when I read this chapter. He is much bigger. And even if it means that it will come in seemingly miraculous, impossible coincidences, there are accidents where God is in control, He will make a way. He will make a way. And His faithfulness will show itself to us in unexpected, in the most unexpected ways. If you had asked Naomi or Ruth in chapter 1, there is no way they could have told you that this would happen. Naomi was bitter in chapter 1. But she had faith, but she, couldn't, she, she didn't know how things were going to happen. She was bitter. But God proves himself faithful yet again. As we see him, she recognizes his work in her life, and she praises him. And again, to us today, this is a reminder, especially for those of us in tough seasons right now, hold on and wait because the unexpected provision of God may very well appear in your life anytime soon. Proving to you His faithfulness again, it may not come in the way that you want or you expect or you envision, but He is faithful. That's what we see in this book. He is faithful and He is faithful. So trust Him. And wait to see what testimonies pour out from your lips one day. And again, if we had stopped in chapter 1, we would not get to this point to, to testify of God's goodness and grace. We get here because we hold on and we look to Him and we trust in Him through the tough seasons of our lives. Part 3. The last two parts are much shorter. Don't worry, guys. Part 3. Match the suits. So the story continues. But now everything is clear. Uh, Ruth needs Boaz. Ruth needs Boaz. But the question is, the boys want Ruth. And chapter 3 shows us absolutely yes. And we actually see that he will go to all and any lengths to redeem Ruth and have her for the rest of his life. He says multiple times in chapter 3, I will make sure you get redeemed. If he doesn't redeem me, I'll redeem you. You will be redeemed. He will go to any and all lengths to make sure that Ruth is redeemed. And I don't want to go into too much detail into the story of chapter 3. But pretty much Naomi makes Ruth in shower and put on some perfume. Chapter 3, verse 3. And do you guys remember the last verse of chapter 1? In the season of unreasonable pain, how we saw a glimpse of hope, the barley harvest was beginning, but that's coming to fruition. And again, back in chapter 1, if you were to ask them, they would have no idea that it would be the barley harvest that would be their hope. But that's just how God works. Because it was the night of the barley harvest where they would go up to the hill and winnow barley. And then what that is, is it's an evening after like all this kind of reaping, they would go up to the hill and take the, the crops that they've yielded and the workers would throw you know, their, their crops into the air 
because they're on a windy hill and the wind will blow away the chaff and then the grain will fall to the ground and they have like their, their stuff to take out. And it is here in this setting that Ruth makes her move to pretty much ask Boaz to take it. And I encourage you guys to read this chapter in your own time because it is like a really romantic, intimate scene where Ruth in faith goes up to Boaz, confesses her heart for him, and then Boaz responds in the same way for her. It is such a lovely story. But any, like any good love story, there is complication. And we learned that in chapter 3. And I'm just trying to zoom through this right now. Although Boaz is eligible, there is someone else who can take who's, There is someone else who is closer to her in family relations, which gives him priority according to the law. But Boaz promises her, like I said before, he promises her, I will make sure you will The warrior much will be fine. And then in chapter 4, Boaz approaches the man who is closer to Ruth in relation. And I, I find it really funny because the man is not even given a name in this story. It's very unimportant. And, he, and I also find this one. He asks him, hey, do you want to redeem this land that Naomi owned? Like that's, that's literally how I picture him saying Hey, do you want to redeem this land that Naomi owned? And he's like, yeah. And then he goes, Boaz is like, oh, by the way, if you want to take the land, you're going to take this woman, this small white woman as well, to, to you know, take care of her. Are you okay with that? Because I'm trying to dissuade him, I think. And the other dude's like, oh, in that case, no thank you. And so what Boaz proceeds to do is he literally begins, he proceeds to pay the price for Ruth. He, he pays the price to, to have Ruth. In chapter 4, verse 17, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting Israel. I'm not sure why I wore sandals, but that was the custom. So we see in chapter 4. Again, if we didn't understand it, it, it wouldn't be that beautiful. This guy just giving him a shoe to somebody else. But, but knowing what Boaz is trying to do right now, when he takes off his sandal, he gives it to the other man. We know what he's doing. He's paying the price in order that he might be able to have Ruth and redeem Ruth for himself. What a man. And I didn't want to spend too much time in this section because I wanted to point out the obvious that this story of Ruth and Boaz is really such a perfect image of the gospel, isn't it? Of how we who needed redeeming from our sins meet our Redeemer in Christ. He goes and pays the price to take us back from the hands of another to have for himself forever. And now by his love and mercy, we who were dirty and unacceptable, we are now invited to take part at his table. No amount of sin could change the fact that God was and is committed to his people. And that's what we're seeing in this, in this third part. God's commitment to his people is, is shining through this third part. For, for Ruth, it's showing it in, in the form of Boaz. But for us, we are reminded of Jesus Christ, who also came down to pay the price for us. And in his unmatched pursuit, Jesus paid the ultimate price to redeem us for all eternity. And friends, that is our God. That is the God you and I serve today. That is Ruth and me, his God. And as we read it, this is our God today. He is committed to his people. We see this in the story of Mary. He restores joy in her life through an unexpected war by women. We see it in the life of Ruth as God redeems her through an unexpected kinsman redeemer of God for you and I 
obviously God sends us Jesus Christ. And yet, this, and this is yet another encouragement and reminder, if you find yourself struggling or hurt, or just finding it hard to worship the Lord and live for the Lord right now, remember how committed He has been and is to you today. And if He is so committed to the point that He would even send His Son, or that He Himself come down to die for you, will He not also then take care of you in these everyday problems and worries and stresses that we're going through? Yes. But just, my hope is that today we look to this gospel that we're reminded of as we see Ruth and Boaz's story. See God's character and commitment to his people shine through the story and find hope in it. And again, I told you from the beginning, this is the point of the sermon, I urge you, hold on. Hold on. Hold on to Christ again today and trust in him through these seasons, through the seasons you're going through right now and the seasons that you are going through. And finally, we will see part four, God's unmistakable plan. And we finally come to today's passage. And I love this passage once we look at it in contrast to chapter one. Chapter four, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she brought a son. And the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeem. Where there was death and hopelessness in chapter 1, we see now there is new life and a hopeful future in chapter 4. God's plan. Where Naomi was once, once wanted to be called Mara, which is bitter, we see that Naomi has been restored in Naomi in chapter 4. God's life is pleasant again. And bigger than that, verse 17, a son has been born to Naomi, they named him Obed. He was the father of David, the father of David is King David. And as you may or may not know, later on down this line of King David comes Jesus Christ. God's perfect, unmistakable plan coming to fruition. Where in chapter 1, Ruth was marked as a foreigner, a dirty, mortified woman. She is now not only the mother of a child that would lead to Jesus Christ one day, part of God's story, God's redemptive story for the world, but her name is etched in the word of God as a part of this great redemptive story. Forever. She's literally a book in the Bible. She does not belong here. But ever since chapter 1 of Ruth, it has been God's plan to bring her into this place. What an incredible story. What an incredible God. And brothers, I want to end with this And I hope this, I don't know, I, this encourages me when I think about it. I hope this encourages me. God has a plan. God has a plan for you too. God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for my life. God has a plan for the seasons that you're going through. He has a plan for the struggles that you're going through. He has a plan for the things that don't make sense to you today. And he has a plan to do something amazing with you. And like Ruth, let's never forget, we don't belong here. We don't belong here. We don't deserve to be here. We aren't even part of God's original people. We're Gentiles. 
yet he was stuck. There is no mistake about that. It's part of God's plan. It has been part of God's plan to invite you into his kingdom and invite you into the story that he's writing about the redemption of the world. And that's why this whole Ruth story happened. We're kind of part of the story of Ruth. Because God did all this through Ruth and Boaz to bring us Jesus for us today. God has a plan. That is why he sent us Jesus Christ. He has a plan. We're not here because we deserve to be. We're not here because, you know, we made it so. We're here because God has planned us to be. And so I, I want to urge us to hold on to the faithfulness of God that we've seen shine through the story of Ruth and trust in the promise that he has planned for our lives. And have faith, especially in the, the season where we feel like we're going through what feels like unreasonable. Let's praise him, guys, for his grace again today. Praise him for his promises and trust in his plans together. Amen?